Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. As you said, the key thing to keep in mind is that Donald Trump is far and away the front runner. His support is as wide, Jake, as it is deep. And I remember being here in 2016. He was ahead at this point uh, in the polls. He didn't win. He lost to Ted Cruz. And a big reason is because it was organic. He had no organization on the ground. It is very different this time, Jake. His uh, campaign has been doing it in, in a very specific way. They have precinct cap in nearly 1,700 of the caucus sites, and that is certainly there. The thing that even the candidate, I am told, is asking over and over of his aides is, what about the weather? What am, he's very concerned about it. Obviously, all of the candidates, everybody here is, because I, mean, I came in here, and it was with the wind chill. Uh, minus 40 degrees. That's no joke, even for Iowans. So they are all, all of these campaigns are working on making sure that their supporters aren't complacent. Complacency with Trump is a big issue. They're concerned that uh, the voters might not go because they think he's going to win, but also it is getting people to the caucus sites, even in this frigid cold. Funny. I know a guy who said just that thing last week. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, what is going on? It is caucus day, people. Let's go do some voting and eat a donut, move around the gymnasium, put a name in a hat, I don't know, drink some of Meemaw cider, whatever it takes to decide who we're going to vote on, and then and then head home in temperatures that are going to be stupid, stupid cold. Now, oddly, around caucus time, it's going to be a little warmer than when Dana Bash of CNN uh, showed up to work uh, this this morning. We're talking about temperatures between 6 and 8 below. But with the wind chill, you'll be 20 below. So, you know, better than 40 below. Wait, hold on. No difference? Correct. People are not going to show up. This is why I have said that I believe this benefits Ron DeSantis. I believe this benefits DeSantis because his people are true believers, because expectations is the name of the game, and Trump's ahead, Trump's ahead, Trump's ahead, so his people could very well say, eh, he's going to win. And not necessarily uh, the, the, the diehard, but just the person who would caucus for him, eh, he's going to win, it's fine. It's totally fine. There's no need to worry, no need to do anything big uh, with this in any way, shape, or form. We don't even have to show up. The weather is an issue. And I believe it benefits Ron DeSantis. Why? Well, I can't even believe I'm saying this. Chuck Todd. 
So the question is always about turnout. Right. But that adds a new element. What are you going to be watching for tomorrow night in addition to the weather? Well, but that's the point here. It almost is the yeah. entire ball game right. turnout because the smaller the turnout, that's when weird things happen here. Yes. You know, Rick Santorum didn't win in a large turnout. You know, those sorts of things. And Donald Trump has benefited from big turnouts. He really, you know, when we've had the higher the turnout has been in general election, the better more Trump voters have come. So and is there a uh, is there a complacency issue that Trump mm. has to worry about? So I you know, this is a, a question where weather has suddenly become the entire ball game. It should be a real advantage to Ron DeSantis. Mm. Here's the guy that has been building an organization longer than any other campaign. He's got the governor on his side who's got a built in organization. This is why you build an organization is when the weather drops unexpectedly. Are you going to get your people out? Right. So in theory, this is all actually, I think, setting up really well right now for Ron DeSantis. This was the take. This was mine last week. We're going to know in a few hours. But let's be sure we're clear about a couple of things. There's very, very little room for Ron DeSantis to move if he does not win Iowa. I mean, it's possible that there's a second-place finish that can still move him towards South Carolina. Because remember, he's not a New Hampshire guy. He's in fourth place in New Hampshire in single digits. Uh, I mean, Chris Christie may still get votes even though he's out of the race. He needs South Carolina, which is tough enough. Where's the money going to come from if Ron DeSantis doesn't win Iowa? What donors are still going to be like, you know what? I think you're going to tough it out, kid. I I don't know where those people are. Those people already gave $200 million to be right now in third place in Iowa. The latest poll was the Emerson poll. And the real clear politics average, I believe, is locked now. Trump, 52.5. Haley, 18.8. DeSantis, 15.7. DeSantis in... Three of the last five polls was below Haley, and the other two was tied. That's that's a crash. That is a crash. How in the world do I now say, I think DeSantis is going to do better than expected? Because the people who believe in him will do it through anything. That's why. It's the only mathematics that I can bring you. Now, but Tony, will you will you admit if you're wrong? Well, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I? I'm not other people. You think my my whole life is 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 wrapped up in this? I've made my case. I think DeSantis should be the nominee. I think DeSantis would be better than both Trump and Haley in getting things done and having no baggage and not bringing the noise, but rather avoiding it altogether. That's my take. America might see it differently. I deal with reality. If DeSantis got the nomination, I'm telling you the the vast amount of Trump supporters wouldn't vote for him. And those people, I think, are terrible. That's right. I said terrible. How else could you possibly want me to say it? But his whole place sucks. That's right, it sucks. This is my take. I would love to be wrong, and if I was wrong, you know what I would say? Huh, 
I was wrong. I was wrong. I certainly hope I am. I don't think I am. But DeSantis has to win Iowa or have a very good second place in order to be able to get to South Carolina to have a shot. Those odds are small, kitten. Those odds are small. Now, let's go the other way with this, shall we? Let's take a look at Trump's numbers and understand what they mean. Trump is, to the real clear politics average, ahead by 33.7. Let's call it, let's round it down, because what can I say? We're good like that. And we'll say 33. If Trump takes Iowa by 33 points, everybody else can go home. Including you, Asa Hutchinson, who, by the way, is still in this race. Spoiler! Um, they're gone. Nikki Haley and, and Ron DeSantis don't exist. Ramaswamy doesn't exist. It's over. Over. The freakout over Trump's popularity. It cannot be understated. People cannot understand. They cannot accept. They cannot figure out why Trump is so popular. They can't understand why is it when the news around him gets worse, his support goes up. They really cannot believe They really cannot believe that a guy who says this gets all this support. So if you want to save America from crooked Joe Biden, you must go caucus tomorrow. First step. First step. We're going to do it. We're going to do it big. You got to get out. You can't sit home. If you're sick as a dog, you say, darling, even if you vote and then pass away, it's worth it. If you're sick, if you're just so sick, you can't tell it. I don't think. Get up. Get up. You get up. You vote. If you vote and then pass away, it will be worth it. That's a statement, baby. And people are like, I don't get it. He's indicted for 900 things. I don't get it. The same thing that moves the support is the same thing that could be a downfall. There is no question, none, no question that these indictments are political and meant to skew uh, an election. The people who support this are disgusting. The people who support this are un-American. They are violent, ideologues, authoritarians, and they must be fought in the streets if necessary. Jack Smith is a lowlife, and Fannie Willis is a lowlife, and Letitia James is a lowlife. These people are awful. And in the case of Fannie Willis, we're talking about Fulton County here. Not only is it clear and true that she is engaged in an affair, she is having a sexual relationship with the guy she hired to be the prosecutor. That guy 
left his wife destitute and said, I'm going here where the sweet, sweet cash is. Never mind everything expensed out to the city and to the county. Trips he took with uh, Fannie Willis while the two had an affair. His name is Nathan Wade. He's been getting a rate of $250 an hour to serve as an attorney consultant and then special assistant district attorney in the investigation and prosecution. How about being reimbursed $4,000 for two eight-hour meetings at the White House on May 23rd and November 18th of 2022? They were listed as conference with the White House counsel and interview uh, with, with the White House. Why was a guy who's now engaged in a prosecution of Donald Trump meeting with the Biden White House? You don't need to spell it out any more than that. I'm not a Trump guy. But this is what's happening. A full and complete total abuse of power. These people will do anything to win. They don't care how they lie. They don't care how they steal. They don't care how they manipulate. They're the most disgusting, disgusting people on planet Earth. Fannie Willis clearly from this needs to be investigated for fraud, for an abuse of power. And what has she now declared? Well, uh, you see, Republicans are, are racists. I'm, I'm sorry, what now? Well, Republicans are, 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 are racists. They're accusing me. Well, first, how about this terrible uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene? Dear God, I do not want to be like those that attack me. I never want to be a Marjorie Taylor Greene who has never met me but has allowed her spirit to be filled with hate. How does this woman who has the honor of being a leader in my state, how is it that she has not reached out to me? She can tell me, I don't agree with anything you're doing, but I do not agree with people threatening your life or the life of your family. That is conduct that is wrong and intolerable, and as a leader, I shall not stand for it. You brought a RICO predicate against Donald Trump and others as a way of getting to Donald Trump. And now you want to tell us about morality? I don't think anybody should be threatening you, by the way. But let's be clear, you're not a decent person. And as you stated so uneloquently, they only attacked one. First, they say, oh, she's going to play the race card. But no, God, isn't it them that's playing the race card when they only question one? You're involved potentially in impropriety of your office. You're the one who has hired a guy who you're having sex with, which I'm pretty sure is a hashtag me too moment. And if somebody should ask a question, it's the race card because you're black. Is there a moment, Fannie Willis or supporters, that you just stop talking? Racism, racism, racism. We get it. We, we get it. We've heard a lot about this. Now questioning something ethically based on a, on, on a reality that no one even denies. That's the bigotry? It's racist to note that you're having an affair with the guy you paid $650,000 to of taxpayer money to go after Trump where he was involved in White House meetings before the indictments came down? 
It's racist to note that? Oh, shut up. Just stop. Anybody who falls for that, anybody who buys into that, anybody who believes that clearly works at MSNBC. I mean, your television show is just waiting for you if you believe in that. And that's why Trump's so popular. That's why. Will it translate to the Iowa caucus? I don't think so. But if he wins by 30, there's nothing else to talk about. The reason that people support him is because they know he's being abused. The reason that I'm concerned about him winning a general is because not everybody who supports him uh, is, uh, it, that, that's not the totality of the voter. All the people who support him are not the totality of the voter. There's a lot of voters, and a fair amount of them hate that guy, thinks he deserves this, and his road to winning the White House in a general is difficult. Haley and DeSantis, even though they hate DeSantis and they'll hate Haley, I believe they have easier roads. Me, I'm going purely politics. I just want to win, kitten. I just want to win. Well, you can't win without the right guy. Uh, the right guy has to start with the guy who can win. That's my argument. But if Trump's the nominee, I'm going to do what I can. Meanwhile, the caucuses are about to begin. We'll let them decide and then we'll talk about it. I'm Tony Katz. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. As has been reported, a U.S.-owned cargo ship was struck by a missile off the coast of Yemen. That is footage of a ship on fire from a helicopter. Black smoke everywhere. I'm assuming this hit leads to some kind of sinking. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Um, at what moment do these strikes that have taken place in Yemen in these Houthi-controlled areas, which are on the Red Sea, at what moment does this lead to something greater? Someone had noted that this was a proxy war between, uh, it's been going on for years, between Saudi Arabia and Iran, in, in, in Yemen, and it was Saudi Arabia that was paying to deal with the Houthi rebels. Now we're doing it. But I, I would caution against that argument. This comes from the Houthi rebels trying to take ships two months ago, sending missiles at Israel and at American interests, and the Biden administration doing nothing. They attempted... Did they attempt negotiation 
attempt some other kind of diplomacy against Houthi rebels backed by Iran? This is what happens when you think Iran is your friend. Something for Barack Obama and Ben Rhodes. Was it, was it Tommy Veter and all that? All the other ones? Was he part of that? I don't recall. I just The name popped into my head as someone connected in that way. They were all wrong. They were all fools. They were all supporters of Iran, lovers of Iran. They just want to lay themselves down by the fire for Iran, get themselves that sweet Ayatollah loving. By the way, that's a visual. You're welcome. Try and get that on NPR. The mistakes are massive. The Iran nuclear deal, massive mistake. Trying to get back into it, massive mistake. They're the enemy. And while it may bother some people that we have enemies, we do. I'm not looking for a fight. The fight is coming to us. And Joe Biden allowed it to exacerbate. His failure is going to get people killed, just like it did to 13 U.S. service members in the withdrawal from Afghanistan. This is Tony Katz today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. about immigration for me republicans use immigration issue as a placeholder for their anger over the changing nature of america i mean that's what it's fundamentally about it's matthew dowd is as dumb as a stump that is an unbelievably rude thing for me to say however the thing i want to say i can't say on radio so i'm going with dumb as a stump You think that immigration is a conversation that Republicans use because those white guys don't like all them brown people coming? May I ask what Beverly, not Beverly (laughs) D'Angelo, she was, Beverly D'Angelo starred with Chevy Chase in the the vacation movies. I was saying Robin D'Angelo, who wrote the nonsense book, White Fragility. I was going to ask what Robin D'Angelo class taught you that. Ah, Beverly D'Angelo, gone too soon. Wait, is she still alive? I don't don't know. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. What an ignorance conversation from a small man. You have... Plenty of people across the spectrum bothered by what's happening at the border. When Henry Cuellar, the Democrat from Texas, talks about issues with the border, is is that because he doesn't like the changing nature of America? It's embarrassingly daft. And what's worse, Matthew Dad is having this conversation while wearing a Detroit Lions uh, sweater, uh, hoodie. I have no idea if the man's a Detroit Lions fan or not. I am not. But for those people who have been long-suffering and had to wait 32 years for their first home playoff victory, their first time in the playoffs since 1992, is is, is that it? Or was that the the last win? I don't know the last time the playoffs was. Um, It's just gross. I feel bad for the people of Detroit watching Matthew Dowd.
do this. How how dare he don the Honolulu blue? Just absolutely gross. The Lions uh, beat the Rams 24-23. Um, that, so that uh, happened. But let's not talk immigration right now. Let's not talk the border right now, although I certainly speak often about the border. Let us talk about the riot that took place at, at the White House uh, yesterday, was it the day before, over the weekend. We'll call it over the weekend. A riot took place. You heard about it because you have social media. You heard about it because you have radio. No one's talking about this. ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post. These aren't journalistic outfits. You've been aware of this for a very long time. How much more do you need to see? These are not trusted outlets. If you actually read the, the, the New York Times because of the journalism, that's unserious. That's unserious stuff. These people would not report anything that did not move an agenda they thought was necessary. The idea that it is news is laughable. All the news that's fit to print, which was the slogan, the, the standard for the New York Times, Well, they've really got a unique view of what is fit. And what's fit is whatever fits their ideological agenda, not what is actually news. A riot took place. These pro-Hamas protesters, and they are pro-Hamas, attempted to tear down the fencing and enter the White House. I know that this was a problem because the people inside the White House were relocated. Now, I know what you're saying. Tony, don't you mean evacuated? Oh, no. Oh, no. That's, that's not how uh, things are discussed when you're talking about the Biden White House, when you don't want to insult these people, these, these pro-Hamas, pro-terrorist, pro-Jew-hating, pro-murder people are. Uh, those are your voters. You can't insult them. So instead of having to evacuate members of the White House, they were just relocated. See that? That's... That's how the minds work. Crack minds over there at the Biden admin. During the demonstration near the White House complex January 13th, a portion of the anti-scale fencing that was erected for the event sustained temporary damage. The issue was promptly repaired on site by U.S. Secret Service support teams. Is that right? Is, Is that because you told me it was? Because you told me it was. Um... If we take all of these pro-Hamas protesters, they're going to tell you that they're pro-Palestine protesters, which only further proves my point that they're pro-Hamas. If you took them and you took away or you took all of their Palestinian flags and you replaced them with Trump hats, big red trucker hats, how many news outlets would this be a part of? And that, kids, is the ballgame. This is is what we're talking about. This is the issue. These people screaming about um, ceasefires and the rest, that is not their plan. Here is a rally in the UK. 
I dare you to look into the eyes of a Gazan child and tell him that you tried your best. Our day will come, but we must not be complacent. Our day will come, but we must normalize massacres as the status quo. Thank you. Understand what he just said. Our day will come, but we must normalize massacres as the status quo. Huh. That's a that's a statement, kitten. This is who the pro Hamas side are. They'll scream free Palestine or pro Palestine. That's not what they're about. They're about dead Jews. They're about destroying Israel. This is Senator Chris Van Holland of Maryland on CNN. I do believe that the Biden administration could exercise U.S. leverage more effectively. They have succeeded in getting the Netanyahu government to make some very small changes in their conduct, but not nearly enough to achieve Secretary Blinken's goal and President Biden's goal of dramatically reducing the number of civilian casualties. We're now up to over 22,000 people dead, two-thirds of them women and children, and not enough uh, leverage to get the kind of humanitarian assistance into Gaza that's needed to address a desperate situation that's getting worse. So I would like to know where you got your numbers from. I, I am not doubting that there are people dead in Gaza. I am not doubting that at all. I only want to know where you got your numbers from, because if you get your numbers from the Gaza Health Ministry, you're getting your num- your numbers from Hamas. That number cannot be trusted. And I think that we should have a clear accounting. But if you want over the top, I give you Bernie Sanders for that. Jake, we have got to, as Americans, take a very deep breath. What is going on in Gaza right now is a horrendous humanitarian catastrophe. We're looking at 23,000 people who have been killed. Almost 60,000 have been wounded. And two-thirds of the people who have been killed are women and children. You're looking at 70% of the housing units in Gaza that have been destroyed. Jake, if I use the word Dresden, Germany to you, you think about the horrific destruction during World War II of that city. What is going on in Gaza now in three months is worse than what took place in Dresden. Well, that's a statement. I mean, that's a... You you you, you just want to uh, really keep up the idea, Bernie, of Israelis as Nazis. Okay, all right. Oh, no, 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 you, you think they're terrorists. You, you say so. Over a two-year period. This is a catastrophe. And now, according to the United Nations... After you have 1.9 million people displaced from their homes, they don't have food, they don't have water, they don't have medical equipment, they don't have fuel. What you are looking at is imminent starvation. Children are starving to death. So my view has been from the beginning, Israel has a right to respond to this horrific terrorist attack from Hamas. But you do not have a right to go to war against an entire people, women and children. And Okay. Maybe our problem here for people like Bernie Sanders is that you're on the wrong side of everything. I mean, this is a level of, of sheer ignorance here. The answer 
lies in Hamas surrendering. Everybody knows this. All rational people understand this. But you'll notice he doesn't call for that. The people of Gaza don't have food or water or medicine or fuel. That's the fault of Hamas. And in no other setting in the world would it be incumbent on one of the parties at war to provide for the other party at war with them. Hamas attacks Israel and the Israelis are supposed to feed everybody? Tell Hamas to feed everybody. Oh, that's right. Hamas doesn't do that. Hamas doesn't supply the drinking water. Hamas doesn't care about the sanitary conditions. Hamas doesn't want to live a life. They only want dead Jews. So when you give me the numbers of dead, I agree with you that there are dead women and dead children, and it is awful. But you never called and used your pulpit to get Hamas to surrender. And everything will be better, and the deaths will stop when Hamas is gone. So I don't really give a good holy damn how angry Bernie Sanders is with Jake Tapper on CNN. Bernie Sanders is low, loathsome, and purposefully ignorant, or worse, not purposely. To not recognize that this ends with Hamas ending, to not recognize that Israel owes nothing to Hamas, oh, and aid has already gone in because of Israel, as it has always gone in before because of Israel. Israel's perfection? I'm not here to debate that. I don't... You find Israel imperfect? Okay. I find your mom imperfect. Now what? We're all imperfect. I'm pretty sure Christians are like, yeah, Tony, that's the whole point. Now what? Israel should just sit there and take it from the Jew haters who want them dead and their enablers in the United States Senate? Bitch, please. Ah, I don't think that's what they should do. And I think that the more that progressives like Van Hollen and Sanders talk like this, the more we should note how much they miss the most decent argument. Tell Hamas to surrender. Watch the peace unfold. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. These are the people who then come to Washington, D.C., to the White House, and engage a riot that forces the White House to evacuate staff. And I am told that they're the decent ones. This story is nowhere to be found because the media, the vaunted journalists, they don't find this a good story for the narrative which is why you listen to talk radio and you search other ways. Because while they won't tell a story, we tell every story. There's a reason we're better. There's a reason we don't fail and they constantly do. That is called honesty. The full engagement of what is happening and hitting the sides and then making a declaration about why we choose one side over another side. 
And certainly, I side with free side with free and thinking people who believe in Israel's existence then side with a Chris Van Hollen or a Bernie Sanders or any of those Jew-hating, Israel-hating, democracy-hating freaks who try to go into the White House. I'm Tony Cap. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. May I just say for the record that uh, this is an address that the American left should pay very close attention to. Because it is this from Martin Luther King that you have strayed so far from. Your DEI, your constant refrains of bigotry, your desire, your need, your want, your demand that race be the only Marker, the only decision maker, the only thing on the Rubicon to decide lives and livelihoods. You're so far gone. You're the ones who need to live up to what was said on paper. Yes, progressives, you stop thinking you're righteous. And if you say we all do, I'll say to you, absolutely. Let us continue that pursuit until the very end. My problem is you want to end it soon. This is why I start where I start. Progressives, you are the ones who have strayed from the words of Martin Luther King. Which I thought we celebrate midweek, but I guess today is when people have off, so we're celebrating it today. Okay. You have strayed. Why not spend some time coming home to rational thought and a better view of the world and yourself? 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Does the president talk to him on a daily basis? Because I think one of the things that surprised a lot of people, knowing what a tinderbox the Middle East is, Europe is, and the concern about China, was how infrequently there was direct contact between the White House and the defense secretary for that entire period of time at the end of December through January. There's routine, regular communications between the president and the secretary of defense, as well as well the secretary of state. Uh, and, and normally, like, for instance, the some of the strikes we took on Christmas Day, Christmas night, and then a few days later were pre-approved. Secretary Austin was part of that discussion. He was part of the discussion from his hospital room when we took these strikes against these Houthi sites uh, just a couple nights ago. I mean, he's actively involved and engaged. Uh, and I think it's important for people to remember that the cabinet officials don't have to sit and talk every single day to make every decision. A lot of the work that gets done in national security is done at the staff level. Right. But there is a chain of command here. Of course. And the commander in chief didn't know that his defense secretary was this ill. And that's a problem. And the president has spoken to that. That That is not the way it's supposed to be. It's certainly uh, something we need to get more answers to. And the Pentagon's investigating this and, and uh, we'll see what comes out of that. But that, that it is not the way the process is supposed to work. What is to investigate? What possibly is to investigate? The Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, did not inform his boss, the President of the United States, that he was in a hospital and he was uh, uh, incapable of doing his job. By the way, Secretary Austin was released from the hospital today. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Uh, phone number, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. And you do TonyKatz.com, podcast, videos, everything is there. I got to do some more videos today. That's I got to get that done. There's a lot to do. Uh, what What is to research? What is to investigate? This is John Kirby, National Security uh, Council, just flat out lying. There's nothing to investigate here. If you are, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, a guy in the in the military, but I certainly know that you inform your superior of when you're going to be indisposed, when you're going to be gone. Otherwise, you would be what's known as AWOL, absent without leave. You think that. Lloyd Austin needs to be taught this? You're John Kirby, retired Rear Admiral from the United States Navy. You think there has to be an investigation? You should be demanding that Lloyd Austin is fired. This is crazy town. And all of this ties in well to what we were discussing earlier regarding uh, Yemen and the Houthi rebels. There is a complete and total lack of seriousness 
coming from the White House and coming from today's military because they do not stand for something. They do not hold a line. When you take a look at recruitment, recruitment is down. We see it all over. Why is that? One of the stories uh, that we're seeing, Army sees sharp decline in white recruits. You okay with this? Is is it the reason um, that, uh, A, you simply told uh, these young white men they're not welcome? You told them that they're the problem. You told them that they're bigots. You told them that they are guilty for their existence and that if they question it, that's just proof of their guilt. Is anybody going to discuss how flat-out evil DEI is and how it infects everything it's a part of, how it's a disaster, and how if you are not engaged in a conversation about merit, but rather involved in a conversation about anything else, if you are engaged in an instruction in the military, not about killing the enemy and breaking things, but rather utilizing the military as an agent for social change, if the Secretary of Defense can be AWOL and the President does not fire him, what message does that send down the line? I'm not a military guy. You are. You tell me. You tell me, what does that say? Over at United Airlines, uh, you've got uh, Scott Kirby, who is the CEO of United, answering questions from, from Axios. Military. How is diversity and diversity targets working into the Aviate Academy? We have committed that 50% of the class of, of the classes will be women or people of color. Uh, today, only 19% of our pilots at United Airlines are women or people of color. And by the way, from all the data I've seen, that's the highest of any airline in the country. White males don't just dominate in the cockpits, also in the C-suite at United Airlines. Well, look, at United, I'm proud of the diversity that we actually have in our, our C-suite. I think if you look around corporate America. Correct me if I'm saying, though, so I, this is just based off your website, the people you list as executives, but out of 11 people, three are women. I believe one is a person of color. Um, that's correct. Um, but, you know, in corporate America, I think, you know. That's a low bar. How do you yeah. raise your own bar? Well, a lot of this is, you know, focusing on it. We have uh, programs to, one of the things we do is for every job when we do an interview, we require women and people of color to be involved in, in the interview process, bringing people in early in their careers um, as well, uh, and giving them those opportunities uh, and creating a stronger band. If you told me we are going to start teaching kids in all high schools, reaching out to them, black communities, Hispanic communities, etc., that being a pilot is an incredible career and there's a future here for you, you know what I'm going to say? Smart. Smart outreach. Smart letting people know the options that they have. Good on you. If you're going to tell me that your objective is having the diversified number of pilots as opposed to the best pilots, I'm going to tell you you're crazy. Now, the best pilots may all be Asian. They could all be gay. I don't know. I never asked whether or not my pilot was Asian or gay when I got on a plane. I asked the following two questions. Are they drunk? Are they good at their job?
and so do you. Because if you've ever gone on a plane and said, by the way, the pilot, Asian, you're the weirdest human being ever. Uh, pilot, Jewish, because I don't know about that. Maybe they'll want to land, maybe they won't, who knows, maybe they'll be tired, it could be a thing. That No one, no one asked, no one cares. Are they drunk? Are they any good? Only two things the normal, rational human being gives a good holy damn about. But these people, these people are demented. The CEO of United Airlines should be thrown out on his butt. But what do you expect when you see this as a headline? The Federal Aviation Administration actively recruiting workers who suffer severe intellectual disabilities. The headline, FAA's diversity push, includes focus on hiring people with severe intellectual and psychiatric disabilities. Targeted disabilities are those disabilities that the federal government, as a matter of policy, has identified for special emphasis in recruitment and hiring. They include hearing, vision, missing missing extremities, partial paralysis, complete paralysis, epilepsy, severe intellectual disability, psychiatric disability, and dwarfism. Um, um, I swear to you, I don't know how dwarfism is attached to many of these other things. I would assume that the issue regarding dwarfism when flying a plane is being able to fully reach all of the controls. That would be about a physicality conversation that cannot be denied. Because I don't know how much you retrofit a plane in order to be able to have somebody with dwarfism be able to connect with everything they need to connect with. But if somebody has a psychiatric disability, maybe they shouldn't be near a plane. Maybe the correct answer is no, you're out. This idea of of we gotta have a certain group of this, we gotta have a certain group of that. This this goes along something Jordan Peterson discusses, I think, re- remarkably well, and 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 with with, with rather uh, simplistic clarity. If you say to him or to anybody, well, the problem is is that we've got all these men who are CEOs, we don't enough women who are CEOs, and we need equity to be able to balance that out. Well, do we need more women laying bricks? The vast majority of people who lay bricks in the United States are men. The vast majority of people who work construction are men. How come there's never a conversation regarding equity when it comes to physical labor? And usually what happens is people say, oh, get serious. No, that's the only serious conversation. If you actually believe in a thing, you want the thing everywhere, but you don't want it everywhere. You only want it in certain places, so you don't actually believe in the thing that you're claiming to be about. Let me say it differently in a, in, in a way that very few other people uh, will. This idea that um, the, uh, the, the CEO of United is putting together about basically a, a quota system, right? That's what he's talking about. A quota system. 
you have a certain amount of people who look like this and look like that and look like this and do this and do that and believe that and say that. Is this also true of the NBA? The NBA is a predominantly black league, black players. It is. And there are a multiplicity of reasons for this. But is anybody really suggesting that in order to have a league that's more equitable, you have to sit LeBron James and replace him with somebody who's white? And if nobody is seriously suggesting this, is it because to make that suggestion seriously would actually get one attacked because the equity is not actually an honest conversation. It is a tool utilized by the world of DEI to engage the attack, to engage the division, to engage the destruction. Be clear, DEI destroys everything it touches. It is hate, it teaches hate, and the people who engage it, the people who claim to be practitioners of it, they are practitioners of hate. I used to say that they may be lovely people, but what they're doing now, nah, they're not lovely people. I believe at this stage of the game, they're in on the grift. They're in on it. If you really believe that one should have equity, a certain percentage of this, certain percentage of this, certain percentage of this, certain percentage of this, how come you don't believe it on a professional sports team? NFL? We, we don't believe... Hockey? See, I go the other way with it. You said you wanted the thing. I'm applying it to everything. Soccer? Name it. The chess club. The chess club should be dominated by people who are good at chess. That's who it should be dominated by. That's better. You know why? Because it's important to know sometimes you're not good at chess, that there is somebody better than you, and we recognize it. When it comes to football, sometimes there's somebody bigger, stronger, or faster, or more capable of reading a defense, or more capable of understanding where the wide receiver is going to go so they can cut in front of him and get the interception. And that's the guy we take. You simply don't have what it takes. No participation trophy. That's the way it is. If I were you, I would look for another career. Sorry, pilot, want to be, but um, you are having psychotic breaks while in the simulator, and that's not going to work when you're carrying 182 souls on board our plane. So no, you don't get to be a pilot. Only certain people can be pilots, and it's okay. It's okay that only certain people can be pilots. And it is okay to tell somebody, yes, you're not ready for this. You can't do this. This job isn't for you. Which is exactly what Joe Biden should have told Lloyd Austin. We have to investigate what happened. What happened is Lloyd Austin didn't explain to his boss where he was. The most basic concepts within the idea of the chain of command. And not firing him says to those underneath them, which is everybody, 
We are an unserious organization, this U.S. military. We don't have a standard. But we do have a class on wokeness coming. So make sure you attend because that class is mandatory. This is Tony Katz today. Because it's it's Martin Luther King Day observed, so it's it, it, yeah the, the 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 market is not going down today. That's what I thought. I wasn't sure. That's what I thought. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Google with layoffs. Citigroup, twenty thousand layoffs. That's a that's a lot of layoffs. That's like 10% of their workforce outside of Mexico. I didn't know this. They have, they have like 39,000 employees in Mexico. I, I, I was not aware uh, of that. But this is the interesting number. Biden raised $97 million in the fourth quarter. So they've got $117 million in the war chest along with, of course, the power of the presidency to make any statement they, they, they choose. Um, fascinating. Fascinating when you consider that the guy isn't going to be on the ticket. If you didn't see him in um, Pennsylvania at the coffee shop, Sarah, do we have that stuff up at TonyCats.com? Do we have the the video of him in the coffee shop where he... Clearly doesn't know where he's going. He has to be directed there by someone who's giving him a tour. He's talking to this young girl who has no interest in talking to him at all. He is the creepiest, creepiest dude. Wouldn't let him near my wife. Never mind, kids. I'm sorry. I mean, I've now spoken to a couple people who know more than I do, who think that it is absolutely possible if not downright probable that Biden is on the ticket because it is hard to remove a sitting president if he or she, I guess in the future, doesn't want to go. Very hard to move. I don't see this as that hard. I, 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 they, they got to move him out. They have to move him out. Just saying. I think that's the honest answer. But that's a fair amount of loot, right? More than you would think for a guy who is just not uh, not looked at as somebody who you have a lot of faith in. So I thought it was a really interesting number. Very interesting number. Uh, polling has Biden under 40% or at 40% for polls taken in November. Um, but if he's raising money, that's kind of fascinating. 
But I guess uh, maybe it doesn't matter because, of course, he's not going to debate. I have been saying this. Anybody think that Joe Biden, if he's a nominee, is going to engage in any debates, whether it's Trump or anybody else? Because he's not going to debate at all. This is Tony Katz today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. NFL Wild Card Weekend, and there were some wild card stunners. But if I don't start with this... This almost schizophrenic IU men's basketball team. I mean, I could say the same about Purdue, except I don't know. I I, I, th- I take a look at that Nebraska loss and I say it. it sometimes a loss happens. Get back on the horse and keep on going. I, I I just think people are like, oh wow, they lost, but they don't even lost faith in the team. I don't know if that's so true about IU. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. JMV joins us. He is the voice of sports. In Indiana from 93.5-1075, the the fan. Uh, Let's talk just really quick about uh, Purdue right there. That loss to Nebraska, then they come back with the win uh, just the other other day. Um, This this Nebraska loss to you, is this a a sign of of an issue, or is this a sign of eh, sometimes you just don't play your best ball? Well, Nebraska's red hot, or had been red hot up until that point. Tony, this past Tuesday. Um, the problem is, I, I would agree, yeah, it's just kind of a blip on the radar, but I'm the only one that probably brings it up, or like media members, because Purdue fans are staked out. They're not going to punch the clock on Purdue until they get to the NCAA tournament, because that's where the expectations ride, and that comes with last year when they were miserable in round number one, it got bounced out by Fairleigh Dickinson and felt embarrassed. Fan base did. They did all of that. So, mind you, I look at it this way. Man, you want to win that. You want to be able to take care. Even if, again, talking about a hot team playing at home like Nebraska. Um, But, yeah, it is one of those games where you can consider the talent Purdue still has and you move on. But they do have a couple of losses, Tony, in the Big Ten right now. And, Hit IU coming up tomorrow night to see if uh, the Hoosiers can continue their Jekyll and Hyde play at home and away from uh, Bloomington. Right, and speaking of of, of IU, I, th- I think the, the the feel is is very different as I talk to people and as I look around. The nice win against Minnesota, seventy four sixty two, convincing win. But there's nobody who I have spoken to or is disgusted who doesn't look at that Rutgers loss at Rutgers and say. Uh, that's uglier than the score 66-57 really showed. Yeah, it was bad. It was that bad. Had a lot, a lot of hot you people, including former players, kind of rallying a little bit, wondering where this group is. I can tell you right now where this group is. Uh, it, it's two levels here uh, with the importance of tomorrow night's game against – actually three if you want to get down to it. But one is they're just completely different at home than they are on the road. If you're looking around college basketball, Tony, and you're looking for, you know, the biggest home court advantage, I think high in that argument or maybe the argument is that of Assembly Hall in Bloomington. They are just Jekyll and high compared to when they play in Bloomington and when they are on the road. Now, granted, there are a lot of teams like that. Purdue's got a great built-in home court advantage, too, with Mackey. There are a lot of them out there. But this IU team just is 
really stratospherically different at home than they are on the road. So you start right there. The other thing is quality of wins to try to get into this NCAA tournament. They have zero. They have nothing right now. A big donut hole. They need to cobble together a win at home against Purdue just to stake a claim for the possibility right now of being conversational when you're talking about the NCAA tournament. So that's that's the second one. And the third is just simply put, they have had recent history success over Purdue. So you know, look back to last year. Now it was different. You had Trace Jackson Davis. You had you know, Hood Shafino, who was awesome in Mackey Arena last year, if you remember shooting the basketball. But it is just the rivalry of it all. So this really is meaningful for IU in terms of finally putting something on the resume that's big in terms of talking about a possibility of the NCAA tournament. Uh, for the Boilermakers, you just want to be playing consistently good basketball. You didn't really see that against Nebraska. You saw that their dominance against Penn State over the weekend. Yeah, it's going to be more about for their fan base, certainly what happens in March. Talking to JMV is the voice of sports in Indiana. We leave college, we head to the pros, we take a look at the Pacers. Another team of Jekyll and Hyde proportion, 23 and 16 is the record, which might be better than you thought it, it, it would be at this stage of the game. But but take a look at some parts of this record. You beat the Bucks. They've had the Bucks number all season. You beat the Celtics. You beat the Heat. You lose to the Heat. You lose to the Trailblazers. And the Trailblazers is a game I, I think you should have won. You're only losing by four there. Is it just move on this path, move on this pattern, you'll get to some level of the playoffs and you'll be out in the first round and people can say, oh, that was nice. Is this, is this, hey, the, the, is this the Pacers? Yeah, yeah you know, it's funny, Tony. You mentioned those, those early season losses, for example, back in November. That was a bad one at Portland. Um, I'd like to think that this team is different all the way around now than it was then. However, what you saw yesterday in their loss to the defending NBA champion Denver Nuggets in Denver was a team where you could tell you missed Tyrese Halliburton. And that's a game that they possibly win yesterday on the road against Denver if Halliburton is playing. And really, I mean, you could tag that to any game they're playing in which he is not and they end up losing. But no Neesmith, no Halliburton, that made that highly difficult. I thought that they maintained contact with the Nuggets. I thought they played as, as well as you could. There are moments where you knock down a three here or there, and it could have been closer. But here's what I want you to watch. This team without Halliburton. Tyrese Halliburton is the single most important player to his team in the NBA. He makes everybody across the board, Tony, on this Pacer team better. And you can see without him offensively, they're just a half step or so behind. I'll give you a great example. I used this example the other day. Miles Turner. High ball screen, Halliburton is the guy with the ball, high ball screen, Miles. He ducks in, he slips that screen, goes down. He's looking for a pass for Halliburton. And nothing against Bruce Brown or nothing against anybody else, Nimhart that's running it, but it's just not the same. You kind of think you're not going to end up getting it. And you watch the dribble handoff game offensively. Oftentimes yesterday it was a bit of a mess. It is just so stratospherically different without him. And you can tell this road trip for the Pacers is all about surviving. They got that first win against Atlanta. They lose yesterday. You have the toughest back-to-back in the NBA on the road when you go from mountain time zone to mountain time zone, Denver to Utah and Salt Lake City later on tonight. This is about 
surviving without Tyrese Halliburton and hoping he comes back sooner rather than later. So first things first, I read my schedule backwards. I was sharing with you the start of the season. Here's the last couple of, uh, of games. And th- the reason I had brought this up, right, you have those the losses against the Grizzlies and the Magic, and then you go on this crazy win streak, six games. Then you lose to the Celtics, beat the Celtics. You beat the Wizards, you beat the Hawks, but you lose to the Nuggets. My point was was that this team has shown that it has capability and possibilities. Certainly, you mentioned the Halliburton uh, injury and how they're going to adapt long-term with with, with any of that. But you still get the feel that while this team is super exciting, I think that the fans dig it, you don't know, at the end of the day, a standard that they're going to to hold to. You don't I I don't feel anybody saying, well the Pacers are going to give you this every single night. Am I off base on that? Well, I will say this, I read what you were saying when you were when you were talking about. I completely understood what you were talking about even if you have the schedule backwards. I I just kind of think that compared to what you were talking about and now, this is a much different team. You're not going to see it in terms of that transformation yesterday because there's no Halliburton. I just think this team, you saw that after that skid, Tony, in that in-season tournament after they lost to the Lakers. You know, they went through some tough times, and then we really wondered. But they have regained that level of play and that confidence. Unfortunately, Halliburton gets injured, and they're just not going to be the same team. Again, I just hope they survive this and he comes back quicker than what we thought. But I, I do. I believe more in this team and the way that it's playing now, certainly, than those moments in which you describe early on the season. One is when, when they changed up the lineup and put Jalen Smith in the starting lineup, I think that helped everybody out. And then also Obi Toppin, who goes as a starter to the bench, has come off the bench and since that point in time has shot the three a lot better, has been more of a threat with that second group. I just think that without Halliburton, it's tough to judge their growth right now but with him I think you see it and again when you're talking about tonight in Salt Lake City or going to Sacramento or ending up in Phoenix and Tony even when they get back when they get back you're going to end up seeing Philadelphia you're going to end up seeing Phoenix again Uh, it's not going to get any easier when you get back it is really historically tough coming off a long road trip to win that first game when you're back at home. It is going to be difficult. You just have to cross your fingers and hope that Halliburton is back. Because, again, the most important player in the NBA to his team, and I don't care who we're talking about, Embiid, Giannis, whomever, the most important player to his team to get them to play at their highest level is Tyrese Halliburton. And we have seen that. You certainly notice that when he's not participating due to injury. And this, you know, is is so much of my point that – the the Pacers could go on a four game losing skid as easily as they can go on a six game winning uh, streak, and and I don't know if there's anybody who is really feeling like okay, this is what this team brings us, and certainly with Halliburton injured, I don't know what their future feels like for them. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana. Uh, by the way, I'm going to take heat for getting the schedule backwards, but uh, you notice we're not going to fix it in post. <laughs> you live and die by a kitten. That's how it works. Uh, I'll, I'll take making a mistake. Let's get into the NFL. 
Let's get into the playoffs. I, I, I could mention the fact that it could have been Indianapolis defeating Cleveland uh, by an unbelievably lopsided amount, but that's not going to happen. I could mention that Miami simply uh, did something to the bed that was unseemly uh, in losing to Kansas City, which I don't think is a great team. I can discuss the fact that the Detroit Lions have to figure out how to get a defense working in order to stop an offense. Uh, beating the, the Rams just barely, 24-23, for their first home playoff win in 32 years. The only game that matters is the Green Bay Packers beating the Cowboys 48-32. to Does, does uh, McCarthy still have a job today? The coach of the Cowboys. Um, I don't see how he does. It's just been kind of odd that Jerry Jones has kind of softened, you would think, in his uh, older stages of uh, pulling all the triggers and making all the decisions for that team. But, yeah, I thought really yesterday it probably it went from ah, disappointing loss to embarrassment. we got to get rid of guys. And also, here's another effect, Tony, that that embarrassment at home had was Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn had been mentioned in a lot of places, you know, maybe becoming the net head coach, you know, back ready to be become a head coach again. And his defense got absolutely torched. With Dallas, you can just tell if they don't put pressure on the quarterback, they are not any good defensively whatsoever. Prescott, there's no up and down gauge and then shrinks when it really matters more at that position than Dak Prescott. You saw CeeDee Lamb, their wide receiver, who I, I would absolutely love here. It's not going to happen. But you see the frustration that he had, double and triple teamed, you know, how just really overall that game went. So I think there are differences. Jerry Jones certainly has softened in his older age, but I would have to think that a loss on an embarrassing level, a loss of that magnitude probably does begin the stages of making a change because it it was embarrassing it was bad and this is going to be talked about for a while how what are the odds that bill belichick is going to dallas now oh i don't know i i i mean i guess you could say maybe i mean if you wanted to get he i mean he ideally he wants 15 more wins he wants to to overtake Don Shula for most all time. He also wants to, don't get me wrong, that's not the only reason why he does want to return. But if you're looking for a more of a ready-made, even though we questioned Dak Prescott at quarterback position, then you can look at it that way. I'll give you a couple of other teams we've talked about. Atlanta was one, but they certainly don't have a ready-made quarterback at the level, disappointing as it might be, of Dak Prescott. They got Desmond Ritter and then uh, Taylor Heineke there, uh, probably drafting somebody. And then, you know, you get a team that's actually interviewing today, Jim Harbaugh in Southern California, and that's the Chargers. They do have in Justin Herbert, a ready-made quarterback. They have skill position players. I mean, in the NFL, by standard, as quarterback and edge rusher, wide receivers, and then secondary players, they have what it takes. They just have been unable to put it all together. So if Harbaugh maybe doesn't do that, maybe Belichick, that's a good spot for him. But I think it does open the door up to consider a guy like Belichick with what he wants to do, what he wants to accomplish in the latter stages of his career, and what is necessary for a quick quick turnaround after what was just a massive disappointment. They've had a lot in Dallas in the postseason. That, I think, was the top of the mountain that we saw in terms of postseason embarrassment yesterday. So maybe it does make a lot of sense. JMV, I'm saying he's going to get fired. I'm, I'm just calling my 
No, oh, I, no I think you're right. Yeah. That, if he hasn't already. stages of losing, and that was the embarrassing stage. If he hasn't already. JMV, the voice of yeah. sports in Indiana, 93.5, 107.5, the fan. I appreciate you. Always, always more coming up. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So uh, my pipes froze. I, I have... For the second year in a row, second winter in a row, frozen pipes. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Yes, I dripped them. And yet, here we are with these ridiculously embarrassing, stupid temperatures. Dear Lord, all across central Indiana, I'm just going to play the where, where I'm at. Uh, uh, the one below, I, I think we're going to get a high today in most parts of, of the state of Indiana, like 11 degrees. Just just madness. And and last Christmas, because I was away, came back to a flood. Water pouring out of the ceiling. Oh, major damage. Uh, my wife, uh, I, I, of course, have books and some religious texts and things like that. My wife is a huge reader. So many uh, books from, from her history and, and, and things that she has enjoyed. We lost 300 and, 350, 360 books. Oh, just destroyed so slowly <laughs> getting rebuilt now and then uh and then all of a sudden the hot water uh in in our in our master bedroom uh froze up the cold works the hot doesn't so so who knows who knows i'm gonna be playing whack-a-mole with a flood where's that busted pipe if there is a busted pipe but considering we're not gonna see temperatures above freezing uh, until next week i don't know do you do you get it fixed do you just let it be or It's going to be an interesting week here at the Cats household. Not much sleep is going to happen because you're always going to be listening for some kind of gushing sound, which is, of course, the sound of your insurance rates going up. Stay safe out there. It is chilly and it could be dangerous. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So first you have the riot that took place at the White House just over the weekend. Oh, I don't care if the media calls it a riot. You've got people surrounding the White House trying to tear down the fences. It was clearly such a threatening moment that you evacuated the White House. Oh, I'm sorry. You relocated staff. This took place 
these uh, pro-Hamas protesters, they'll claim it's free Palestine. But since they think Palestine is Israel and they want to wipe Israel off the map, that's exactly what Hamas wants. I call them pro-Hamas. I'm clearly accurate on this, and they have no defense. I'm talking to you, Congressman Andre Carson, and the rest of the squad bigots that you hang out with. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. That story, nowhere to be heard. Was not front page anywhere. But if all those people waving Palestinian flags had red trucker hats on, MSNBC wouldn't stop talking about the threat to our democracy. You understand what garbage that is. The threat to our democracy comes from the political left who flaunted the idea of lawlessness. This, of course, can be seen in sanctuary cities. New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, the mayor danced when they became a sanctuary city. And all that was doing was telling people from other parts of the world, you can come, the laws here are, are, have no issue, you're just more than welcome. We don't care what laws are, we'll let you in. They flaunted the law, they flaunted sovereignty, and then when Governor Greg Abbott of Texas started sending them busloads of people, they had the audacity to get angry. And now you've got the governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker. Oh, it's not fair to send illegal immigrants to his uh, his state and his cities. Not enough has been done. There's no doubt about that. And I think that the president needs to do more. The Congress needs to do more. Uh, cities out here that are the target of this political game that Governor Abbott is playing uh, are suffering. And uh, here in Illinois, it's minus 29 degrees uh, outside with the wind chill. Uh, we have migrants that arrive from Texas virtually every day, uh, hundreds, and uh, we don't have places to put them. We don't have enough shelter space here. There are plenty of other cities where, you know, if he's going to send people, they could be sent. But no, he's choosing only Democratic states, Democratic cities. You were the ones that were sanctuary cities. You were the ones who did this. What? And how dare you say that it's it's Governor Abbott who's playing with people's lives. The people in Texas, their lives are on the line. Those border cities are on the line. And you flaunted uh, the lawlessness. You thought it was acceptable. You thought it was fine. You did this. Stop blaming others. You're the problem. You and your ideological brethren are the problem. You're the guilty party. Now start demanding policy. Border technology, more border patrol agents, an end to this amnesty. And pathways to legal immigration that help us on an economic front and therefore will help on a humanitarian front. This can be done. But it can't be done if you're a whining, complaining little you-know-what. You did this. And the mayor of New York, de Blasio, and, and now Adams. And yes, Adams, while he's, he's certainly not happy with this, he did not do enough to stop what New York was doing. And Philadelphia and San Francisco and the rest. You did this. Don't get angry that you now have to deal with what Texas is dealing with. This is our problem as a nation. And you made it worse. Now stop complaining and start working on making it better. That's your job now. Let's see if you're the kind of man who can do that. 
I'm not holding my breath. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So every time Governor Eric Holcomb opens his mouth, it's always about workforce development. And don't get me wrong, it's important and it's boring and it's not sexy. And I don't mind the governor pushing this idea. I just wonder if he uses it as a catchphrase as opposed to something that has teeth. Say it because it keeps people from asking you other questions because nobody actually knows what workforce development is. It, it, it's, 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 it's mind-numbing. To say the least, although developing a workforce for the future with the skills for the future is an extremely important thing to do. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Gary Dick runs inside IndianaBusiness.com. Find him on the X Twitter box at IIB. Catch his show in Indiana every Sunday morning. And spoke to him about this this speech, uh, the, the state of the state that Governor Eric Holcomb uh, gave and, uh, you know, so much about workforce development and how it was received. On, on workforce development, uh, I was touted as a speech really focused on, on workforce. Big issue for the state of Indiana as we see jobs coming in, jobs being added. How do you get that pipeline uh, of workers um, uh, ready to go? I don't think there was a, a you know a, a stunning headline out of that necessarily. It was really focused on things like uh, you know beefing up early education and and uh, also making more Hoosiers aware of the programs available to train and get retrained. To me, one of the big headlines uh, was the Lilly Endowment's two hundred and fifty million dollar uh, grant, the largest in its history, to the Indiana Economic Development Corporation for the state's regional economic development uh, program. Ready. Uh, big check, $250 million will go to uh, things like uh, blight removal in communities around the state, which in some, especially some smaller communities, is, is a big issue. Uh, also, arts and culture around the state. So it's a grant. You, a lot of folks around the state talk about Indianapolis and central Indiana getting everything. The Ready program obviously touches uh, on every corner of the state. So I thought that was uh, that was significant. You know, you talk about there at, at InsideIndianaBusiness.com, Commerce Secretary Bullish on Economic Development in 2024. Uh, uh, th- that's great. Uh, they're, they're always bullish on it. There's, no, there's nothing new about that statement. Have you seen things that give them reason to feel that that's the case? Yeah, yeah, and I think if you look at the numbers, and again, these are, these are commitments. These haven't happened. These aren't guaranteed to be sure. But if you look at the numbers uh, last year in terms of economic development deals, nearly $29 billion of uh, investment commitments, 22,000 jobs. And again, to underscore, these haven't happened, uh, but the companies making those commitments. And then the Secretary of Commerce will tell you there's $100 billion worth of opportunities in the pipeline. And those are deals that Indiana is going after and could get in the year ahead. So the pipeline of deals, uh, according to IEDC, according to the Secretary of Commerce, uh, David Rosenberg, is strong, perhaps as strong as as it's ever been. And he, in fact, uh, suggested on the show this weekend that there 
will be one or two major announcements here yet in the first quarter of 2024. So I think, yes, certainly, Tony, the Secretary of Commerce is always going to be bullish on uh, his or her particular state, and that's the case here. But if you look at the numbers and you look at some of the uh, projects in places like Kokomo and in uh, the South Bend area, Terre Haute, uh, around the state of Indiana, it would suggest that uh, there's some success being had. Talking to Gary Dick from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter. At, or X, whatever we're calling it now, at IIB, uh, one of the other stories. you got a bunch of stories. State revenues beating the updated uh, estimates. Uh, that's, that's always nice to see uh, that uh, the state is, is moving in a way and, and we're, we're getting people buying and sharing and, and investing, uh, et cetera. Um, how is this related to, for example, this billion-dollar shortfall they had was with Medicare uh, and issues looking at uh, this legislative session, which is not a budget session, are they taking a look at beating estimates and saying this gives us an opportunity to do something bold in a in an infrastructure way? This gives us an opportunity to get money back to Hoosiers. Has there been any of these conversations if things are based on how they're talking about things doing so well? No, I, I don't hear that. In fact, if you look at the um, if you look at the numbers that came out, uh, the state budget agency said that uh, individual taxes came in above the monthly estimate. Uh, they said, quote due to unusual timing factors that are expected to normalize, as they say, near the fiscal year forecast over the coming months. So this perhaps was a bit of an anomaly in a positive uh, way going forward. So I I, I think as you look at those numbers going up and down, uh, also interesting, I think corporate tax uh, collections and riverboat wagering collections all above the estimates as well. So uh, a report uh, positive. We'll see how it plays out going forward, though. So let's move into some other stories, and one of them is real estate. Indiana home sales down 14% last year, and certainly you take a look at interest rates, and you're like, okay, that makes perfect sense. But you also take a look at inventory, at least in central Indiana, and you're like, what inventory? Where, where, where is it? Are the home builders still building, and why are the realtors taking a look at 2024 and saying this is going to be a good year? Yeah, yeah, 2023 uh, was uh, was a tough year. In fact, it was the first time, according to the uh, Indiana Association of Realtors, first time that annual listings dipped below 100,000, uh, first time in 20 years. So it was a tough market. Obviously, a uh, number of economic factors on the national uh, level, uh, mortgage rates obviously jumped uh, uh, in a big way. Um, the, uh, inflation, a number of factors, uh, led to that. But as you look at the inventory beginning to recover and mortgage rates becoming, you know, coming back down, I think those are the indicators. Those are the things they're looking at in 2024, pointing to perhaps a, uh, perhaps a better year in the year ahead, uh, as we look at, at what's happening here. But again, those, uh, those macro, those national economic, uh, factors, the potential, uh, for a recession or the threat of a recession, all those types of things can play into this as well. The recession thought, uh, which uh, a lot of people want to tell you, the Secretary of, of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, we're, we're, we're in the, the, 
the soft landing. Um, that's the way it's 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 going to be. Where it's going to happen. A soft landing would be the inflation comes down to that target rate of two percent without a recession. But the consumer price index put inflation at three point nine percent when it was trending for two months in a downward fashion. Three point nine is double where they want to be, even though the wholesale price index, producer price index, was down point one percent. Uh, our uh, our economic geniuses in the state of Indiana, they see a good 2024, or do they still see the possibility, or I shouldn't say the possibility, or do they see bad times ahead? Yeah, no, I, I think the consensus, at least from what I'm hearing, Tony, is that, <clears throat> excuse me, there will be a um, perhaps the first half of the year uh, that's rather uh, slow in terms of, uh, uh, you know, economic activity. But then ramping up in the second half of 2024 will be a positive one. You know, you you have predictions all over the board when it comes to will there or will there not be a recession. But I think generally speaking, uh, things, according to the economists and those who study these types of things and see what's going on in the economy, are looking at a second half uh, uh, that's pretty strong in 2024. First half, uh, perhaps a little bit uh, a little bit slower but not an overwhelming number of people saying, hey, yeah, there's going to be a recession. So a lot of people feel that we can get through this. Is there a feeling uh, that uh, if it does the state take a look at this and say, if recession comes, we could do this or we could do that? Are you hearing that the General Assembly might want to engage things differently if, if recession comes? I'm not saying it will. I'm asking, is this stuff that they normally think about prepare for? Yeah, without question, uh, as you look at um, strategy and look at uh, just like a business would, would, would look at those types of things. And businesses around the state are looking at those uh, those types of activities. But if you look at uh, from a business standpoint, some of the expansion uh, projects that are, are taking place around the state of Indiana uh, would point would seem to indicate that businesses uh, are, are, are somewhat bullish uh, on, on 2024, but beyond. And, and that's an important part. They're not planning for a year ahead. They're looking five to 10 years ahead as well. So absolutely uh, looking at those those types of factors and where the economy might be, uh, if the economy might slip in some uh, fashion uh, and, and head south and what that might bring. So all those, all those factors obviously are, are, are taken into account uh, on a regular basis. And right now, I, again, I, I think the predictions in terms of the economy and where things are, how things will be in Indiana, a manufacturing state, uh, which, uh, you know, typically leads into a recession, but also comes out of a recession uh, in a big way. Uh, a lot of folks will be looking at states like Indiana and these manufacturing states in the Midwest. Gary Dick inside IndianaBusiness.com on the Twitter Xbox at IIB. I appreciate you as always. I can't say it enough. I had this conversation the other day. Oh, oh, I went out in the cold. I went out in the cold and came back and the pipes were frozen. Not everywhere in the house. Not everywhere in the house. Just the, 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 the master bedroom, uh, the shower, and, uh, and, and the sinks. And weirdly enough, we have our laundry room in the master because everything was on one floor. And with the kids, it was always easier. So my wife's like, I want it in there. I'm like, yeah, sure. Good, good by me. Smart idea. So, so we do that. So I assume that that's also totally, totally hosed. I can't shower and I can't wash uh, any clothes. I'm going to smell peachy like a dream. It's a, it's a very pungent aroma. Stings the nostrils. Um, but I was having the, the, this conversation uh, or, or on, on Sunday 
that, you know, the, the, the governor discusses wanting to teach computer science as a mandatory class. I, again, for this workforce development piece, and I'm, I'm not opposed. I just think it's a mistake because we're making a statement by doing that. We're saying that everybody has to code. And no, not everybody has to code because not everybody is going to be good at coding. Not everybody is going to want to do that, to, to uh, sit behind a, a keyboard and do that. Not everyone's going to have the headspace for it. Why put them into something that isn't for them as opposed to let the opportunities be known that it could be for you? And I don't mind having the courses. If you ask me what's more important, coding or Spanish, I would tell you coding. And I'm not against learning Spanish. But the idea of being forced to learn a language, I would, I would agree that language should be Python over French. If you want to teach kids something that is fundamental to their existence, I don't know how we're not doing it. It is how to balance a checkbook. It is how to invest in stock. In stocks, in, in bonds, in, in, in uh, all sorts of funds. We have kids all across the state of Indiana. They can tell you everything about Nikes. The new Jordan that's coming out, the new this, and the price this. They're going to StockX. They're already kind of in this. Why not teach them how to do it in real money? What's more valuable, having 10 pairs of Nikes or having 10 shares of Nike? Now, you might tell me, well, the pairs of Nike, depending on the Nike. And that's a good thing to teach. Investments come in all different ways. Investments have all different methodologies. Let's learn how to do the basics. Start by covering yourself and paying yourself first. Start by learning how to build up a fund and what a retirement is and what kind of money you're going to need for the future that you want to have. The NBA, the NFL, name the, the, the arena. They all teach these, these, these rookies how to deal with money. Why aren't we teaching freshmen how to deal with money? We should be looking at surpluses in the state of Indiana and saying, how do we create funds for students that they can then build upon so they can have these dollars towards Indiana opportunities, maybe a fund to invest in that will allow them to buy their first house in the state of Indiana. Or, or, or guys, I'm spitballing, but it, it, it's, it's as a concept, we're better off if kids can balance a checkbook. Every kid balancing a checkbook is more important than every kid coding. It is the fundamentals that lead to self-sufficiency that will then lead to opportunity. What does it matter if they can code if they don't know how to pay their bills? What are we doing? We are putting the cart so far before the horse you cannot see the horse. Let's step back. Let's talk about basics. Let's teach basics. And let us be economically proficient and fully economically literate in the state of Indiana. We can do this. And that's that we could totally lead the way on this subject. Completely lead the way i have no idea why how is it possible i'm the only person talking about this that's just nutty just nuts i wish the governor had consulted me before giving a speech but yeah that was never gonna happen now was it i'm tony katz this is tony katz today life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Uh, so if I'm going to now rank the weird things in nature, I will admit to you that for me, the top one is the goat. Goats freak me out. I don't know why it is. There is something about the eyes, the whole movement thing. Very freaky. The thing that confuses me the most is the cicada. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Because I don't understand how this thing hatches. Why is it living so long underground? Why Why? It, it, why does it come out when it comes out? And what happens like in 2024? Not only are we going to have the insane eclipse that is going to take over huge swaths of, of America, we have not one but two broods of cicadas coming out which i assume means things are going to get very very loud for us a dream gene kritsky joins me right now dr kritsky retired as the dean of behavioral natural sciences and is a professor in the department of biology at mount saint joseph university in cincinnati ohio also did some work at indiana university uh, and this is his I don't know if I'd call it your expertise, sir, but rather uh, uh, a, a, I will call it a field of study if I'm not allowed to say expertise, but you'll correct me if I'm wrong. And you are quoted everywhere about this not one, but two broods of cicadas that are going to make a very weird year uh, in parts of the Midwest. Let's start with the basics. What in the world is a cicada and how does this pattern work? Well, certainly. Uh, we're talking about the periodical cicadas. We also have annual cicadas that come out in, in July and August and September uh, in Indiana. But uh, the periodical cicada is a, uh, a group of seven species. There are two life cycles. One is uh, one 17-year brood. Those, those come out once every 17 years. And then there are four species of 13-year cicadas that come out once every 13 years. And the, three, the four and the three species, especially, emerge together at the same time. And uh, the, uh, as opposed to the annual cicadas, they come out every year, but we don't know how long their life cycle is. But their life cycle is 17 or 13 years. And back in, uh, <clears throat> back in uh, uh, 17 and 13 years ago, uh, that's when the eggs were laid in the terminal branches of trees. The eggs hatched back then. The, the, the immature insects, the nymphs, crawled out of the egg nest and dropped to the ground, immediately found their way below the soil. And they dug down, oh, about between 8 and 10, 12 inches uh, that first year uh, to suck on a tree root. <laughs> and then for the next 17 or 13 years, they've been just sort of tooling around, not moving more than probably one yard in any direction, uh, sucking on tree roots. And uh, then come this spring in May when the soil temperature reaches 64 degrees Fahrenheit and also after a nice soaking rain, then they really pop. They, they just come out and Big numbers, and, and I'm talking about big numbers. The most I've ever measured myself is 356 per square yard, and that see, would correspond if that was uh, that. Again, they only come up under trees. They don't come out in, in, in open areas like a baseball field or whatever else like that. But in those areas where they they did lay their eggs, they can come out at the rate of about one and a half million per acre, and that's enough to make me never come out of my house again. But I, I, I think the 
this whole idea it's not so it's not a, a gestation of 13 years they're alive they're under the ground how how are they surviving we take a look at the cold that we're having right now throughout the midwest mm-hmm. uh, temperatures in, in the negatives that's not below the frost line how are they surviving that well, many many cases they're down far enough to below the frost. Uh, the the of course here in Cincinnati uh, and parts of southern Indiana, the frost line's about seven to eight inches down. They're usually a little bit below that, and when they're down at that level, the average temperature is fifty six degrees Fahrenheit. Now they're not they're moving around, but they're not moving fast. <laughs> I've dug these things up many times. I when I when it, when it's not a cicada year, I have to go dig them up because I miss them <laughs> so, and see what they're doing down there, but. They will, they'll shed their skin uh, uh, four times underground, uh, and uh, then they, um, uh, they're sucking on a tree root, making tunnels, and as they, as they get bigger, they'll move a little closer to the, uh, the surface, between four and eight inches below the ground by the time they're getting close to coming out. And so uh, we forget about them. That's what makes this such a big deal. You know, we, the year they come out, they're, they're massive numbers. We, we, um, we sort of freak out, <laughs> and then we forget about them for another 17 years. That's like a generation if it's a 17-year cicada. And uh, they come out in these massive numbers to overwhelm their predators. Hold on a second. Now we got to get into it. Talking to Dr. Gene Kritsky of Mount St. Joseph University. Who in the world is the cicada acting as a predator towards? Everything. Uh, birds, dogs, cats, chipmunks. I've seen turtles eat these things. Snakes eat these things. Even a few people have eaten these things. Uh, there, it's a, it's an, uh, a nutrient bonanza once every 17 or 13 years, depending on what brood is emerging. And uh, uh, that's their whole survival strategy. And uh, I've likened it to what we would do. If you walked outside today and you found the world swarming with flying Hershey's Kisses, what would most people do? They would eat the Hershey's Kisses. Wait, they, they, they might, they might be they, afraid first, sir. A guaranteed, <laughs> if they're flying candy, there might be fear. But they eat the kisses. I'm not sure I get the point. Well, the point is they'll eat and eat and eat to the point where they just can't eat anymore or get tired of eating them. And there's still millions of cicadas left after that to reproduce. And so, that's their survival strategy. So the, the, the part of me thinking this is super creepy is absolutely accurate that uh, it's it's living underground. You use the wonderful vernacular of sucking on tree roots, which is enough. Uh, it's 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 it was a, the movie Tremors, I believe. And now you've got them eating everything in 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 sight. It's it's one of these reasons why when you hear that there's going to be these two broods happening at the same time, that's what they call them, broods, how often mm-hmm. does that occur? And honestly, uh, throughout my beloved Indiana, throughout your, your Ohio, exactly how many of these things should you be expecting and when? Okay. The, uh, the idea of a brood, it's like a year class, and so they come out once every 17 or 13 years. In Indiana, it's sort of a, a, a bipolar situation. Brood 13, which I have been studying since 1990, when I measured the uh, uh, emergence there, is only going to come out in the northwest corner of the state. It's going to emerge in, in Lake County, Porter County, and LaPorte County. And it's just restricted to that upper, upper band there, those counties. And it's not going to be uh, every, every square foot's not going to have cicadas emerging. It's going to be sporadic because if you go into an area and you clear-cut for agriculture and remove the trees, the cicadas can't survive there. 
And so urbanization, cutting down the, 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 the woody plants, the trees, uh, and for agriculture and urban development, that's made the, the cicada populations less dense in those areas. And the, now brood 19 is at the other end of the state, and uh, it'll, I've only been able to find it in the extreme southern end of Posey County. So when we when when the it happens, it's happening what months? What are the months I'm looking for here uh, that I sure. should know that I should absolutely be armed at all times? <laughs> they will start emerging when the soil temperature is 64 degrees Fahrenheit, which is usually uh, back before 1940. It was towards the end of May. Now it's uh, occurring in uh, in uh, the probably the first uh, between 10 and first 10 and 15 days in May. And that'll be uh, down for Posey County. We'll be down. Uh, uh, probably early May, and then by the time we get up to uh, for brood 13 in the northwest, that'll probably be late May, probably they, maybe even back in 2007, they came out on the 7th of June. Well, these they things... started, the first one started popping around the 26th and 27th of May. Will these things start flying to other areas? I mean, do they have a distance they can travel, or do, you, do, you, do they usually stay in the same locale? They stay pretty much in the same locale. They can spread about, uh, fly about a, oh, I'd say at most probably about a mile per emergence. Uh, they're rather clumsy flyers. They don't fly great distances and what have you. But uh, and that, they, they spread out when the female cicada is looking for trees to lay her eggs in. And if it's a really heavy emergence, a lot of those prime egg-laying sites are going to be already taken by the time some, towards the end of the emergence. And uh, so those females will have to look for a little further afield for trees. But uh, I've, been, I've actually studied the housing development where uh, in the 90s they cut down all the trees and then put in the infrastructure, the, the sewer lines, the power lines underground, and then they built the houses and then named the streets after the trees that they cut down. And, <laughs> and uh, no cicadas emerged there. So in the next emergency. But they, they, flew the in from, they, they flew in from about a quarter mile to three quarters of a mile away. And you don't think any of the crazy cold that we are witnessing is going to have any effect on the fact that these these killers are going to be out in a few months? Well, they're not killers necessarily, but no, the the the, the frost will not have an impact on them at all. Doctor Gene Kritsky, I, I swear to you, the, the the cicada freaks me out, and and very few things uh, do. Uh, goats, cicadas squirrels but i don't like to talk about that one dr gene kritsky he is from mount st joseph university before i let you go is there a positive of cicadas like is there something that they provide uh in in the ecosystem that brings value yes there is in fact when they emerge from the ground in the in, in may they leave on these holes the diameter is about the size of your pinky as the summer progresses the the clay soil the clay in the soil hardens it and that provides like a natural aeration for the soil. So when it does rain heavily in the summer, that rain doesn't just, uh, roll off the, the, the ground, but actually some of it goes down those holes and helps uh, give the trees water. When they come out of the ground and, and start flying, the our food for all sorts of predators, that's a, an opportunistic feeding opportunity to actually allow for uh, uh, increased populations of their predators. Uh, we know, for example, during a, a, a cicada emergency years, the, the turkeys, the wild turkeys living in those areas, the males that are taken during turkey season actually have a slightly higher body weight. The females, when they lay their eggs in the trees, sometimes that causes the branch where they laid their eggs to break and sort of snap and dangle there. We call that flagging. The leaves turn brown. And that's like a natural pruning. The flower set the next year is even bigger than it is on the average year. And that's beneficial. And then lastly, when they die, 
the carcasses collected the base of trees. And I'll tell you, the stink, you'll never forget that stink when you got millions and millions of pounds of dead cicadas all over a given area. As they decay, those nutrients go back in the soil around the tree where they died, where they probably laid their eggs in many cases as well, and that's a nutrient cache for the trees going forward. Now, you're, you're, you're selling it, sir. You are selling it so, so one, well. One, one more thing that's <laughs> very important personally to me. Right. Periodical cicadas got me tenure. <laughs> well, finally, something they've done well. Uh, it's, it's one of those weirdo, fascinating things, and since uh, we're going to get hit twice with it, I figure we might as well understand what we're dealing with. Dr. Gene Kritsky of Mount St. Joseph University in Cincinnati, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The weather and the caucuses, the caucuses and the weather. I mean, it's just the... It's just the story. Isn't that right, Leo Terrell? I've said it for the last three weeks. You cannot trust Vivek. Oh, oh I was talking about the weather and, and the caucuses. Ah, good Lord. I didn't, I didn't know you couldn't trust Vivek. Why is that, Leo Terrell? He is not a Trump supporter. He's Wait, hold on. Why does that mean I can't trust him? He's a Trump hater. Well, so he hates Trump. So, so Vivek, who's been doing nothing but praising Trump, uh, uh, hates Trump. Greatest president of the 21st century. That's what Vivek Ramaswamy said, Leo Terrell. But now he hates. Now he hates. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Anything else, sir? This guy is in the race to hurt Donald Trump. Vivek is only interested in Vivek. He uses Trump's slogans to trick you. I've been a lawyer for 30 years. I know the game. I've read this guy. This guy is a slick con man. Vivek is not in the race for Trump or for America. He's in the race to satisfy his ego. You're right, because nobody runs for president to satisfy their ego. That's never happened to ever. Ha, 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 ha. Did, huh, did I say hello? I forget. I love that video. That video gives me joy, you know, in a, in a, in, a, in a way that I cannot cannot possibly describe. Look, all the all the Trump supporters are are very clear that Trump's going to win huge. Is Trump going to win huge? I don't know, maybe. If look, if the poll, if it goes by polling numbers and he wins by those kinds of numbers, it's game over. Nothing else matters. And then, of course, there's there's the conversation of the rumors. And one of the rumors is uh, Trump and and Nikki Haley have already worked out the deal, and Nikki Haley is going to be vice president. <laughs> I don't put any stock in 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 rumors. Why why would I? Why would I put? Who knows what's going to happen? That's why I waited for today. What I did say. And I, I was clear about it last week, clear about it earlier, clear about it again. I think this weather puts itself in a great place 
for uh, Ron DeSantis. The true believers are these DeSantis people who have stuck with them through the bad campaign, the bad polling. They'll come out. That's my take. I don't know if I'm right, but it 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 it, it is a rational argument, and thus I make it. And if if DeSantis doesn't win, there, there's no there's no place for him. If DeSantis does not win Iowa, there's no more money. It's over. Over for Ron DeSantis. And listen, I'm not happy about that. DeSantis is, is the guy I want. DeSantis is the guy I want. In in this field, DeSantis is it. But if Trump's the nominee, I'm going to vote for Trump. And if Nikki Haley's the nominee, I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to vote for Nikki Haley. But, but DeSantis cannot get into New Hampshire, never mind New Hampshire, South Carolina, where he needs to be, uh, without a win, or, or at least a second place. Nikki Haley has options. Of course, Trump has options. He, he, he does. Is, is the Trump team worried? Of course, a lot of people have been discussing this. Uh, to the extent I, I would say yes, the idea that his team would come out against Vivek or come out against this one, nothing, nothing surprises me. It is the the, the uh, goose step movement of all of his supporters that all say exactly the same thing. That is what bothers me. It, it's 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 just weird. It is weird, and I'm saying it's weird because it is. No one says, "Hey, wait a second, I support Trump, but I don't believe that's true." No, 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 I'll believe it all at once. But then again, when your when your largest online supporters are people like Laura Loomer, what else are you expecting? What else? This is what you're going to get. So how about we we uh, don't freak. We don't lose our minds. Let's see what happens. Once we know Iowa, we can figure out the rest. By the way, the weather in Des Moines uh, tonight is going to be negative uh, 8. Negative 6 to negative 8. Perfect weather for a caucus. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.